Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Who, What, Where with Hillary Kerr, your direct line to the designers, stylists, beauty experts, editors, and tastemakers who are shaping the ever-evolving world of fashion. I'm your host, Hillary Kerr, and today on the show, I'm bringing you behind the scenes of our spring issue. First, I'm speaking with our March cover star, the four-time Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter, Phoebe Bridgers. Phoebe has had a massive year. She released her second studio album, Punisher, to much fanfare and acclaim, collaborated with Phoebe Waller-Bridge for her Savior Complex music video, and had an absolutely stunning and much-talked-about performance on Saturday Night Live. She's here to talk about her personal aesthetic, how she uses sartorial consistency throughout her work, and her love of suits, worn-in jeans, hair bleach, and thrifting. Then, stay tuned for my chat with Who What Wears Editor-in-Chief Kat Collings, who reveals everything else you should check out in our spring issue, including our coveted trend report. It's all coming up on Who What Wear. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for doing the Who What Wear goth on a ranch shoot. So for this interview, I know most people want to talk about music, which makes sense. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but I'm not going to make you dissect every single lyric known to mankind. I actually want to talk more about your personal style and aesthetics in general and how you use fashion in your work and really explore your thing with skeleton costumes, if that sounds okay with you. Totally. So for anyone who's listening to this podcast who might not know, Phoebe likes a skeleton moment. You were wearing a skeleton costume may I call it a onesie, on the cover of your second album, Punisher. You wore one for your Grammy, in the video for your Grammy-nominated song, Kyoto. You wore a custom one by Amber Doyle for your Saturday Night Live performance. And then you had a Gucci fashion version of a skeleton costume for your second song on SNL, which looked like a black gown with a pearl-encrusted ribcage situation. And it was stunning. But let's talk about this. What's up with skeletons? You know, I'm not really sure. Like it wasn't even that uh, deep of a concept. I just thought it was cool. And uh, I was a ghost for my first record and thought that a great graduation from that would be a skeleton. But I was just a skeleton for Halloween in 2019 with my band and then had a bunch of costumes laying around and just thought, I, I just like a I like a costume because there's nothing more stressful than being about to play a show and picking out your outfit. I like wearing the same thing for every single show. Uniform dressing, if you will. Exactly. Okay, so how does one go about having a Gucci skeleton ribcage made? How did that process work? Did they come to you and said like, hey, we'd like to do a fashion version of a skeleton for you? Or did you say like, knock, knock, hi, Gucci. Can you make this for me? 
They were like, we want to make you something. And I was like, will you make a skeleton thing? And then they sent me a bunch of samples drawn up beautifully. And that was the one I picked. But yeah, it was just such a cool experience. They're so classy. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, was it heavy? Because it looked like it actually had some significant weight to it. It's kind of heavy, but they even built me like an in-ear pack so that it was easy to play in and... They were trying to get me to wear these platforms with it, and I just couldn't. I I was like, I'm going to break my ankles. So what did you wear instead? I wore kind of platform, um, I think they're by Grayson, that are like penny loafers, but almost like creepers. That's like the most I'll dress up. I cannot wear heels. I can't. Maybe to like a dinner or something or an event, but to play or to walk at all, I just can't do it. Well, I mean, you got to know yourself. I feel like no one wears heels in this day and age anyway. I basically haven't worn shoes in a year, so. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So it seems like you are a fan of uniform dressing in general. For example, I read that for your record label, when there were meetings back in pre-COVID times, and even on Zoom, that you almost exclusively wear suits. I do. And I actually have a record label meeting after this, so that's why I'm wearing this suit. What suit is it? You know... Is it Max Mara? I think it is. It's like a gray skirt suit, which is my new obsession. I normally go for just pants, but I feel like I do that in my music already. So to separate it, I wear skirt suits. (laughs) That's very Hitchcockian of you. Like, I feel like it's kind of like a Grace Kelly moment. Totally. Kim Novak. Yeah, he dressed Kim Novak in gray because blondes don't look good in gray normally or that's what people say and he just thought it would be kind of jarring but I think she looks gorgeous and I like wearing gray I think it's cool same we always say gray goes with nothing so it goes with everything exactly um okay so how do you find all of your suits I I think I got this on the real real which I love just because I like a little bit of shopping done for me that's why I like couture because there's only eight things to pick from but beyond that I go to a lot of thrift stores like St. Vincent de Paul, and then I'll I'll spend my money instead on getting it perfectly altered to my body. So I'll spend $8 on a suit and then spend $150 on the alterations, and it's so worth it. I feel like that's most of my suits are like that. My friend Haley has like a Halloween costume. I think it's an Austin Powers Halloween costume that she altered to her body, and it looks like it costs $8,000. So that old trick is like something we've been writing about on Who, What, Where forever. Buy something that's not expensive and then spend your money on making it fit you because that's how something looks expensive. How did you figure that out? I've worked in fashion for 15, 20 years. How did you figure that out? I mean, I think just organically, like they never have my sizes anywhere at thrift stores, especially. It's kind of just whatever you find. You see something really cool, but then there's just no way it's going to fit you or it's like for a child. So so I think I just got sick of getting kind of the bottom of the bucket at thrift stores. And so I just started picking stuff that didn't fit me to get altered within reason. But yeah, it really does work. So how do you know that that piece is for you? Like, how does the suit jump out at you? I have very specific rules. Again, I've started warming up to gray suits lately. But other than that, I don't really wear anything other than black. So I'm looking for anything black, like even in upscale middle tier stores like Vince, which I really love, or APC, they're color coordinated. So I'll just go to the black rack. And I do the same thing at thrift stores. Like my eye just kind of finds things that are black or things that are goth, 
with a nice structured collar or something, it makes my life a lot easier. So is this something you've always done or is this like a simplicity technique that has come along the way? I wish that it was something I'd always done. Like photos of me (laughs) in high school before I figured it out are just so dark. I mean, it was cool, but it was cut way too short. Like I used to cut all my dresses. My best friend and I would share clothes and I had like a dress that was covered in melons and I think it was like bright yellow. That was rough. Yeah, I think I just realized that all the things in my closet that were black were the most flattering. And then I remember when I was a kid looking at the cool kids at school and being like, there's no way you have to be rich to dress well. That wouldn't make sense because I wasn't raised with money and borrowed a lot of clothes from my friends. And then when I figured out that actually that's not true, like you kind of do have to have money to dress really cool. And that's like what capitalism leads us to believe. I was like, so depressed. I was like, oh, all the cool kids at school are rich and they get to look great in their clothes because they get new clothes all the time. And then when I started wearing black clothes, it just really doesn't matter where it's from. I have like maternity dresses still to this day that I found at thrift stores. And I feel like if you invest in like a great pair of shoes or something, then you can get away with really whatever. And once I figured that out, I was off to the races. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's also kind of a rejection of internet culture and specifically Instagram culture where it's like one look, you take the picture, you can never wear it again. I read this book. I forget what it was called. It's like a young adult book, but barely. It's really a kid's book, but it was about this girl who has a closet full of the same black dress and she becomes like a detective. And (laughs) I think when I read that, I was like, that's my dream, like a superhero to wear the exact same thing every day. And I will. I will recycle clothes, especially if I'm seeing like a new group of people. I'm like, nobody knows that I wore this yesterday. No, they do not. I mean, my jeans too, especially. What jeans do you like? Um, So my guitar player, Harrison, is almost my exact same size. And when he is done with jeans, I take them because he has great <gasps> taste. You like a broken in jean. I love a broken in jean. I, there's nothing I hate more than brand new jeans. I like high-rise, I like 501s, but really anything that Harry gives me, I feel like hand-me-down boy jeans are the best. I'd also like to point out that there is little in this world that sounds more luxurious than having your own personal private jean (laughs) wearer inner, which is what you're describing. (laughs) I'm so spoiled. I think 100% of my jeans used to be Harry's. So can we talk about your pajamas, the ones that you have been wearing in, I've noticed, a fair amount of the late night talk show performances, the black ones that have the little white piping and the stars on them? Yeah, so... I love Harrods in London. And when I was there last, I I love even pre-COVID, as soon as I got home, I put on full pajamas. I love to get cozy. I feel like I spend like three hours getting cozy before I can like do anything, like lighting <laughs> candles and putting on pajamas and lotion and stuff. And then I sleep in a gross old t-shirt. I just <laughs> I just wear PJs around my house. But I was at Harrods and I always look for kind of classic pajamas, but they are so soft. They're like jersey material, so super, super soft. They're like really, really dark blue. I thought they were really cool. Um, And then I wore them in my first music video for the record, the Garden Song music video. Oh, yeah. Because I'm supposed to be in my bedroom smoking weed. And then 
it's kind of similar to the skeleton where once I wore it for one thing and then now we're in quarantine, it was just like, my joke is going to be that I never take off these PJs. And now I have several pairs, same with the skeleton. Now I have like a whole suit closet full of different pajamas that are all very similar. <laughs> this feels very like Jetsons of you, like the closet opens and it's like multiple sets of the same thing. Totally. Um, so you also have an Anina Bing blazer that you have been wearing a fair amount of that was customized by Rusty Cuts. Can you tell me a little bit about that blazer? Yeah. So we were looking for some sort of like band uniform, kind of like School of Rock or something. Um, <laughs> but it all just kind of emerged. I tried on a bunch of different blazers and that was by far the best one. Then we all got them fitted. And then I've been a big Rusty Cuts fan for a long time and the nudie suits are amazing. And so we just sent in like different stuff about us and she heard the record and made these custom suits for us. So it was awesome. So you just sent it away and said like, have creative license. Well, she had drawn up like some pretty simple sketches of what she wanted to do. And we were all so into it that it was a pretty fast turnaround. So you've also said that you've been a Doc Martens person forever. Um, so I'm curious, what are your essential wardrobe items? I'm trying to buy less leather lately. So I am collecting like vegan leather versions of shoes and jackets. But I do have this really old shot jacket that I got when I was like 20 that I'm obsessed with. I have this APC coat that's gray and black that I am obsessed with. I have a bucket hat that I love. When I was playing Conan, which was, I think, the first late night show that I ever played, I met this girl in the backstage who was wearing a PV amplifier jacket, which for those who don't know, it's like a solid state accessible amp that like metalheads would play out of. I was like, I love your jacket so much. And she was like, have it. So I have that. Uh, I wear that all the time. Harry's jeans. I love my Blundstones. Todd's, like little old lady church shoes that I love. Always a big pair of sunglasses. And then 400 of the same black dress. <laughs> <laughs> Are they from all over or is there a brand or a style in particular that you like? Yeah, I love mid-thigh and then with like a three-quarter sleeve, just like really simple. I had one from American Apparel forever ago. But now I am more likely to find something like that at like an APC or Acne. I really like Christy Dawn. And again, there are so many beautiful patterns and stuff. Sometimes I do just pick a beautiful color instead of something black. Phoebe. I know. Very <laughs> out there. Very out there. <laughs> I feel like my deepest, darkest secret is the amount of shirts that I have from Brandy Melville. <laughs> see that coming <laughs> yeah no they they have like really soft black shirts I feel like even the boys in my band wear their t-shirts because they're supposed to look like boyfriend t-shirts but they also just fit boys so <laughs> so this year you were supposed or last year I guess you were supposed to be on tour with the 1975 and touring to support your own album how do you pack for a tour like I mean that feels so immense to me and thinking of like off-duty and on-stage clothes. How long does that take? Do you make lists? What is that like? In years where I'm really, really on tour, I do have a list because I am 
definitely predisposed to forgetting all my medication or whatever or my phone charger. It's always something. Usually when I'm going to Europe, I'll forget my adapters. And so I have like 500 adapters. So I do have a list, not so much this year because I've only traveled to New York once for SNL, but it takes forever. I'm getting so much better at it. That's something that I wasn't really expecting to just be good at packing because I used to be so bad. The whole half of my suitcase would go untouched you know, I'd pack a weird pair of jeans that didn't fit because I'm like, oh, I might wear these if they're in my suitcase. I feel like the hardest thing to do is literally just pick one jacket and like two pairs of shoes. But think about good walking shoes, good show shoes, maybe some sneakers as well for exercise or whatever. But just just being realistic, like what last time did I not touch? And also I acquire so much on tour. I feel like one of my favorite things to do is pack light and then go thrifting in every city. Like I love Portland thrifting. And it's nice to come home to LA and just be wearing stuff that people didn't get at the mall, you know? Yeah. (laughs) To be wearing something different. I love thrifting in the Midwest. Like they have so many good t-shirts and stuff. I have like a big t-shirt collection too. Do you ever send stuff back? Like at one point in time when I was doing, I would go to New York for New York Fashion Week and then go to London and like keep traveling. And I would fully ship back whole segments of my dirty clothes or things I wasn't going to wear again or like a bulky thing. I was like, why did I pack that? Do you ever do that? Oh my God, so much. Actually, when I was in the UK doing the music video that I made with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I had acquired so much random stuff like records and whatever and... (laughs) I like freaked out that I couldn't fit it all in my suitcase and just left and then made somebody like go pack my stuff. It was horrible. Ah! I need to think ahead more, but that's definitely happened to me. So let's talk about the Grammys. Are you working with a stylist? Do you know what you're going to do? Like, how's that planning going? Well, we've gotten kind of brainstorming at this point. I'm so excited. I am kind of trying to find a permanent stylist. I've never had one. I usually just style myself. And it works out great, but it's a lot of work, you know, Yeah. for the amount of stuff that I do. And also, it's way more fun to just play dress up and not wear your own clothes for stuff. It's fun to wear samples and then, you know, be proud of your own closet, but not have worn it on the cover of a magazine so that when you walk down the street, people are like, oh, that's Phoebe Bridgers in a Phoebe Bridgers costume, you know. (laughs) So I like wearing other people's clothes. But yeah, trying to find a stylist, I think it would be really nice to collaborate with someone. Do you have a specific idea about what you're going to do or is it still up in the air? Definitely skeleton related. (laughs) That makes sense. Okay. Okay. So have you been shopping very much during the pandemic or no? And I'm curious like if you've bought anything that you love and swear by. I've been buying a lot of like home stuff. Like I love dip tea candles or like my favorite. I feel like I'm dip tea candle rich now. Um, (laughs) Also, I really like Our Place for pots and pans. Mm-hmm. And I've bought a lot of leisure wear shorts and shirts sets that I see. I really wish this wasn't true about myself, but I but I am such a sucker for Instagram ads. I feel like they're getting really good. Well, they listen to your phone, so they know what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. They're spying on me and they have my fucking number. Like I get <laughs> I get real real ads all the time. I'm like I I already gave you so much money. But I really like the amount of thrifting stuff that's popping up for online. But most of what I've bought is stuff that I can wear around my house. (laughs) 
I feel like that's true for most of us. Yeah. So let's talk about beauty stuff. So you've mentioned your love of supplements, including Moon Juice's Super You supplements. What are beauty and wellness essentials for you? I take vitamin D. I take iron called Floridex, the juice. I think for a lot of women, it's important to get your iron supplement, but I feel like the pills can be kind of hard on your system. Literally. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I take probiotics, chewable B vitamins. I'm a crazy vitamin person, but you're showing your LA right now. I know. I've been on the same like regimen for quite a while and it seems to be working out. As far as products, I love Kosas. I love R&Co. I just got this mask, actually. It's called Lenore Gray. Yes. Yes. I love it. Like, I'll put it in my hair and then sleep with it. It's so good for blondes. Exactly. And uh, Olaplex, I use that every once in a while because my hair is pretty dead. And then as far as color, I really like Unite. They have a great shampoo called Blonda. And for my face, I like ultra bland the lush face wash it's so weird it's like something i would never gravitate towards but it really cleared my skin up and makes my life so easy i really love it (laughs) so i love your hair color i think it's really amazing and i also like the fact that you experiment with the way that you style it for shows and for shoots and how have you figured out what works for you i think lots of mistakes like (laughs) I had my hair phase in high school. I like cut my own bangs once. I did box dye black. I had a red bowl cut. I shaved my whole head. I liked shaving my head. I will definitely do that again. When I'm done with the bleach, which keeps getting punted down the line because it makes me feel good. But I think having the bleach as a base has been really fun because I did yellow for a couple weeks for better oblivion. I did purple. If you are comfortable with letting it wash out and look kind of nasty for a couple weeks afterwards, then you can keep the same blonde. The yellow is harsh, I have to say. (laughs) I should have thought about that a little harder because some of my hair fell out after that. But I feel like after the Grammys, I'm going to go full something weird because it's time. I like that. Okay, so can we talk about the Who What Wear shoot a little bit? Yeah. So when we were prepping for the shoot, you said you preferred black maybe a little white, but that you were very open otherwise and that you were open to different styles and different silhouettes. Was there a look in particular that you really liked from the shoot or something where you're like, this is cool, but like hell no in real life? Yes. I mean, everything was so fun. There were some gladiator shoes I really loved. And then I think we ended up calling it the thoughty dress on the shoot. It's like (laughs) The one with the diamonds where yes. you can see basically like my whole skin. That one was so fun to wear and made me feel great. But also the one with the crazy white sleeves was beautiful. All the suits, like I think it was a D-squared suit with some clear detailing. I really love a suit so much. So when we were talking about concepts for the shoot, I thought it was so cool that you were so specific about what you were interested in in terms of location because as you said, it had a very different vibe than some of the other things that you've shot. So I'm wondering, how do you keep your aesthetic connected without repeating yourself? Because obviously there's a through line in the aesthetic way that you have presented yourself. And I think it's really important and interesting. And I recognize it immediately. 
but you're not repeating yourself. And that feels like a challenging balance. I'm wondering how you sort of articulate it or think about it. It is a challenging balance, but I think the fun part for me with fashion shoots is just telling a stylist what I like and then seeing each interpretation of that, um, which is another reason I like working with different stylists. But it is a challenge. It is a challenge to like not look exactly the same in everything. Like I have a lot of suits at this point, so I don't want it to be trite, but I'm, I feel like every season there's like a new interpretation of something or like crazy shoulder pads or whatever. And within that black monochromatic framework, there's just so much going on, you know? Totally. So let's say someone listening to this podcast has never heard your music before because they've been living under a rock. What song on Punisher would you say you should start with? Hmm. Maybe Garden Song, honestly, which is the first song on the record. I think it describes my lyrical and production style pretty concisely in one song. Proud of that one. So yeah, just the first song on the record. And if someone knows your work really well, what song would you say they should listen to first? Like the deep cut. The deep cut. I'm really proud of Graceland too on the record and Moon Song, which are two sadder ones. So I don't usually play them as like a one-off. But yeah, again, proud of them and think that they're representative of kind of what I want to do next. So with any creative project, there are some pieces that come together, like no problem. And then there are others that are torturous and seem to take forever. So I'm curious what song worked its way out easily and what was more of a struggle? Garden Song was really easy. I had a very streamlined idea for that, which is to have my tour manager, Yarun, sing the choruses with me. And I think it was just like a cool production choice. And then I Know the End was the hardest. It had the most tracks. I knew exactly what I wanted to do for it, but it just took a long time to record. They must all feel very precious to you in their own way. But do you have a favorite song from this album? I think Moon Song is my favorite. It's very sad, but that's what I tend to gravitate towards. And what song is the most pleasurable to play? I think I Know the End is the most fun to play for sure. (laughs) It certainly seemed like you were having fun the last time I saw you play it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. (laughs) So your lyrics are really thoughtful and interesting and nuanced and precise and painful. And what is the best lyric that you think you've ever written? I like lyrics that are kind of a joke to myself. In Kyoto, I like, I'm going to kill you if you don't beat me to it. I think that's funny. And then I think in the second chorus, the I don't forgive you, but please don't hold me to it. I like that those mean the same thing. You know, you like still care about someone even though you hate them, basically. (laughs) The duality of emotion. Yes. So you also started your own record label recently. I'm curious about what the impetus was behind that. I just like having power over an industry that can feel very elusive. There's not a lot of music in the music industry, as they say, but I like being able to hear something now and think, what can I do for this person? What resources can I give them? It just feels nicer than having to email my label every four seconds and be like, if anybody likes this, you should put it out. I like having that power now. What's it like being on the other side of things? Like, are there things that you find yourself really good at and things that you find yourself not as good at? And does any of that surprise you? I love marketing so much. It's just fun. It's as creative a job as anything else if you do it right. 
like taking somebody's ideas and being like, ooh, we should go into this weird studio and you should interpretive dance if that's what you're into. Like we can work that into the campaign or what do you want your billboard to say? I just love that stuff. And then I'm worse at like administrative answering emails, remembering who I talk to about what. So I need people to keep me accountable to those types of things, but I love the creative side of it. So you've also spoken about how you'll write a song in many different ways and that they'll often start off as ballads, whether they remain that way or not. Do you ever find it hard to settle on like a final version of something, the one that you record? Yes, definitely. I think Luckily, a lot of the better versions of songs come later in the tour. So you're already done with the record. And so you can't just kind of torture yourself and go back and record all the time. But my favorite thing to do is experiment on tour, come home, play it, then play that version live and then come home and re-record it. Like I love the re-record process. Is there a moment that you feel like something is done? Because I feel like that's the hard part about creative work in general. It's like... I could always rewrite a story. You could always tweak a lyric. Like there's always something that can be done. How do you know when you're just like, okay, I'm putting it down. I'm walking away. This is done. Well, there's a podcast I really love called Hidden Brain. Yes. Just about psychology. And there's an episode about choices and people make, I think it's, or take two photos. I think it might've been photos, but they take two photos and one is going to be hung in a gallery in London and one you can keep. And so for one group of people, they were like, you can switch at any point, which is which, like which one you keep and which one is in the gallery. And then for the other group, they say, once you make the choice, that's it. It's gone forever. And the people who have the choice whenever they want to switch are way more torn. They can't figure out if they made the right decision. And then the people who had to make the choice feel 1000% like they made the right decision. So I think a lot of what feels finished about things is just built into the process, like having a record be printed to vinyl, having your record be mixed, having deadlines. If I didn't have that stuff, I would still be working on my first record probably. (laughs) I am a deadline-oriented person as well. Like, literally nothing gets done if there's not a deadline. Me too. So what are you looking forward to after the pandemic's done? Everything. I'm looking forward to everything. But I'm also looking forward to this year. Like, I'm looking forward to – I feel very lucky in the fact that I had an album campaign throughout all this. And maybe I'm sure when the world starts again, I'll be on an endless, endless tour. So I'm just trying to take stock and be grateful and kind of spread – the wealth wherever I can, whether it's, you know, mutual aid or charities that I care about, like just being able to hop on Zoom and play charity shows and stuff is just so cool. Like this year just has a lot less uncertainty attached to it, what with the political sphere and with vaccines and everything, like as uncertain as we are, we lived through a whole year of this already. So I'm looking forward to seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but also just kind of appreciating what I can do right now because I feel very lucky. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird thing where it's like there's almost a part of me that's like I've made peace with this life. Like I don't even know what I want to do, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm someone who is already thinking about their exit plan at every party. So (laughs) I think not romanticizing my previous life is important. Not romanticizing this time and realizing that it was really fucking hard and awful and deadly 
yeah, just realizing what I can do in the world is nice. And the fact that we're all stuck at home means that we can kind of think about that stuff more, I guess, which is nice. Speaking of thinking, what have you learned over the past year? Like what's been your biggest takeaway? So much. I started going to therapy for real. So I've learned a lot. I think that, I don't know, there's just like a lot of stuff that I need to sift through in my own psyche. I think before I'm able to function fully in the world, I think there are a lot of like unhealthy patterns that I cling to to make my life easier to live. But then eventually it's harder and harder. So kind of like doing an inventory of my own brain has been nice. I'm I'm learning tons about myself. <laughs> God, that's so painful though and so tiring. It's the worst and it's fucking exhausting. Also, just a daily walk will boost my serotonin to the moon and back. So take a walk if you feel weird. What will you no longer take for granted going forward after this year? My job and my friends. Do you look at touring differently now? Yeah. I'll never take the airport for granted. Like when I went to New York, I was like, man, I missed the fucking airport. Like That's overpriced crazy. water and like totally. dumb magazines. <laughs> yeah, I missed it. I'll never take a room full of snacks for granted again. Like I'll never take for granted feeding myself, which is hard to do. It'll be like 5 p.m. and I'm like, oh my God, did I eat chips for breakfast? And then now I have to make a meal out of nothing. So yeah, just like little adulthood stuff that I am grateful to go back into the world with. Okay, so what are you working on now and what are you going to do next? Like, are you working on a new album? Is it rude for me to ask that? Like, I I don't... I think I'm always working on something. I just don't <laughs> know what it is. Like, I, I am always writing songs. I'm always having ideas for stuff. But who knows? Like, I definitely haven't started recording or anything. And what's next is a break. <laughs> what's next is I want to be intaking more than outputting for the next year. So that's my plan. BB, I like that. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a good plan. Me too. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Thank you so much again. All right. We'll see you there, Juan. <laughs> see you there. <laughs> Stay tuned for a deep dive into our spring issue with Who What Wears editor-in-chief, Kat Collins, coming up next. And now, our editor-in-chief, Kat Collins. Okay, so Kat, welcome to the Who What Wear pod. I am so excited to have you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited too. Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, Kat is our editor-in-chief of Who, What, Where, and she is responsible for a whole heck of a lot, including leading our amazing, incredible team of editors. And today, she's going to talk through our new spring issue with us and how it comes to life and all of the stories that you absolutely have to check out. So Kat, what do we have in store? What should we be looking out for? Well, we have a lot in store. <laughs> this year marks four years of digital issues for us, which is probably like 20 years in, in digital years, I would say. <laughs> it launched in spring 2017. Uh, so our 2021 spring issue just came out uh, last Friday. And for those who might not know, I'll share a little bit about what they're all about. So our digital issues are sort of a premium content. I'll call it a buffet, basically. 
that we do seasonally that features our monthly celebrity cover story alongside our big, amazing shoppable trend guide that we look forward to every season, a beautiful beauty shoe, and then usually a profile or two on someone notable style. And this season, I'd say overall, there's a lot of joy and self-expression in this issue. It is very optimistic. I like optimistic, and I think we need that now more than ever. So I spoke with Phoebe Bridgers, who is, of course, our spring cover star. And we talked a lot about her personal aesthetic in her real life. But I'm hoping that maybe you could give our listeners a little behind the scenes peek about our shoot with her, which we kept calling, and so was Phoebe, goth on a ranch, which I think really sort of gets to the heart of what we were going for. But tell me a little bit about the shoot itself, the inspiration, the clothes, why you were excited about it, all of the things, please. Oh, yes. So we've been big fans of Phoebe's music for a while. I think she's had a really exciting year with the Punisher album. Phoebe Waller-Bridge directed a video for her four, count them, four Grammy noms, Saturday Night Live (laughs) performance. She, you know, has arrived. So we were really excited to shoot with her. The shoot was actually done on a ranch, uh, hence the goth on a ranch vibe. (laughs) It was shot in a place called Shadow Hills, which sounds, you know, magical perhaps, but it's actually just a bit north of Burbank. We worked with the stylist Donna Lisa, and what was really neat is she pulled a lot of indie designers on the shoot, and you know, putting them on a star like Phoebe Bridgers can be a huge exposure moment for these brands. So one brand was Anna Kiki, who has become a favorite of celebs in the know, like Gigi Hadid, Cardi B, and there was also a big range in terms of where she pulled from, like there were a couple designers from Georgia, the country, and even local ones too. We used a designer called Chained by Sedona that did this amazing crystal chain mail looking headdress. Um, So there was a lot of range. And then mixed in, you know, our favorites like Paco Rabanne and and things like that. I personally loved it because it felt like a real cornucopia. There were things that like designers who you know and instantly recognize and then so much discovery as well, which to your point, like is cool, not only because it's something new and fresh, but also a really big moment for a lot of these designers, which is always nice. Absolutely. Okay, so we have a big spring trend report as part of this issue. Can you walk us through some of the biggest trends that we're seeing and how you plan on wearing them? So the first I'd have to say is bubblegum pink. It's finally, finally, we have a fresh shade of pink. You know, millennial pink kind of hit a moment, became a thing in summer of 2016, and then it probably overstayed its welcome for a while. So we have something new. It's a bit brighter, a bit more fun. And I feel like this like bright, happy color is just what we needed after a year of neutral loungewear. And we saw it at, you know, Roxanda, who we know is like a color whiz. Valentino, also a brand to me that usually nails color um, and Chanel as well. And something I love about bubblegum pink is that you don't have to wear head to toe. Like it could be an accent piece. It could be an accessory or it could be a full monochromatic full tilt celebration of pink. It's sort of choose your own adventure, right? Absolutely. There's a, there's a spectrum. I feel like a shoe <laughs> is a really easy way to to get in there. It's like adjacent to a red shoe, which for me is very easy to wear. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll work our way up to full tilt bubblegum pink madness. I'll see you there come June. 
Right. <laughs> okay, what else? So pink, bubblegum, pink, what else? Then we have this really fun, colorful jewelry trend. So there's this brand called Lamanso. We wrote about them a handful of weeks ago on the site, and they really spearheaded this movement. But there's a halo of other brands that are sort of pushing this forward too. And it's these insanely bold colored statement jewelry, kind of a lot of it's like plastic baubles that really kind of feel like a departure from the simple, delicate gold look that has been reigning supreme for years. It's kind of a more is more. And I swear every celeb and influencer is wearing these like Dua Lipa, Devin Carlson. It's everywhere. And it is also an expression of joy through jewelry, in my opinion. So I like that too, because I feel like that is something that can come through on Zoom because, you know, we're still living in Zoom days, but that's something that you'll actually notice, not just, I mean, no shade to minimalist dainty things, but sometimes you want to wear something with a little more oomph, right? A thousand percent. Honestly, anything I've been sort of splurging on in quarantine in the fashion world has been jewelry because I'm like, it's worth it. And then you can just sit there really cute, like perched with your hand on your chin and be showing off all your amazing Lamanzo rings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love that. What else? Give me another one. Okay. This one we're calling Skin is In. So... This is a, a broader trend that encompasses cutouts, exposed midriffs, micro mini skirts. I'm sure you've seen some of our coverage of who aware of this like built-in kind of like exposed thong, for lack of a better word. Yes, the, the purposeful whale's tail. <laughs> right, right. It's a strong look. And I think bear all is, is kind of the unofficial motto of 2021. And I know I said more is more with the rings and maybe with the bubblegum pink, but for this category, less is more. So it's it's for the bold. It's uh, and I think we've seen it really. I could honestly talk for like three minutes listing the designers that have done this, but some some standout ones I would say are Givenchy, David Coma, Versace, who are really leading the that moment. Okay, I love that. We have time for one last trend. So what about a bag? Is there anything in that part of the accessory world that we should be looking for for spring? Yes, I have a bag trend for you. It's called 2D bags. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to 3D, they are sort of like paper thin. They're really, you know, maybe an inch wide or so max. And they'll kind of, maybe they'll barely fit your phone, but that's okay. You know, we're not always practical here on the fashion front. And the designers here that are notable are Jill Sander, who for me is a brand that just really kills it in terms of the accessories world and Hermes as well. And we actually have, we're trying something for the first time with our trend report this season where we are giving away an item to our readers that's featured in the trend report. So we have a 2D bag from Byfar that we are going to select a lucky winner to take home. And we're excited about that component as well. How do people enter to win this? Okay, great question. Um, so to win, you sign up for The List, which, if you're not familiar, is our free memberships program where basically you get access to exclusive discounts. Um, we just did one with Lisa Says Ga. We have one coming up with Hill House Home. You also get to co-create on Who What Wear collection and weigh in on what we're designing. So it's a really awesome program. And if you sign up for it, you also may win an amazing 2D bag. Okay, I love this. So what else should we look forward to in the spring issue? What else should people go and check out? 
Well, we have a really amazing beauty piece that was brilliantly done. And the idea behind it is that right now as we're filming this, Paris Fashion Week has just started. So, And it's not usually what it is. It's different from in past seasons. And usually we get to see amazing beauty looks coming to life backstage. And sort of in place of that, we decide to fill that hole that all of our beauty-loving hearts usually get by asking some of our favorite makeup artists to create their fantasy beauty looks. And these people are such creative geniuses that it's really fun to see what they do. And it's just like, you know, there's no brand that they're kind of trying to execute their vision or that kind of thing. It's just their creative minds going to 10. So we've tapped some artists that we're really excited about. We've got William Scott, who works with Padma Lakshmi, Carly Kloss, Aurora James. We've got Danessa Myricks, whose beauty line was just picked up by Sephora. And everyone, I swear, has worn this line, like Amanda Gorman, FKA Twigs. It's really gorgeous. People are really excited about it. And then we have Jenna Christina, too, who uh, works on celebrities like Lucy Hale and Zoe Deutsch. And she did our January cover, right? Yes, she did our January cover with Christian Serratos. And so all three of these artists together are creating looks for us. So think over the top, dream world makeup looks. So it's really inspiring, hopeful shoot, in my opinion. Okay, I'm so here for that. Oh, and we still have one more thing that we need to talk about. There's one more shoot for the spring issue. Tell us about it. Yes, we are jam-packed. We have one more shoot. Um <laughs> It is a shoot featuring talent Chase Swee Wonders, and she has a new HBO Max original series called Generation that's being produced by Lena Dunham. Our talent director, Jessica Baker, is truly a wonder at spotting those on-the-rise people that are kind of right before they break, and it's really exciting to see where their careers go from there. So Chase, I'll tell you a little bit about her. She graduated from Harvard a couple years ago, so she's really young, and she previously wrote comedy for Harvard Lampoon. She co-directed the spring-summer campaign for Anna Sui, who happens to be her aunt, a little bit of fashion cred there. She's been featured in Sofia Coppola's campaign for Calvin Klein. She's working with Miu Miu a bit, which is always a good sign. That's a little inside hint. Like Miu Miu is like has their finger on the pulse of cool newcomers. So it's always a good indicator of who they're working with. And the shoot itself, there's a lot of pattern play, fresh spring colors, and kind of a, a retro energy. So it's a visual delight. And so is Chase. Well, Kat, this is so wonderful. Thank you for giving us a little behind-the-scenes peek into Who What Wears Spring Issue. It's out right now, so everyone should go and check it out on whowhatwear.com. There's so much love and attention that goes into these special issues, and I hope that you all enjoyed hearing a little bit about how it all comes together. Thank you, Kat, for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'll have to have you come back. <laughs> oh, yes. I'll be knocking on your door. <laughs> Thank you, Hillary. <laughs> Thanks, Kat. A huge thank you to today's guests, Phoebe Bridgers and Kat Collings. Make sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, I'd also be so grateful if you would rate and review us, hopefully say nice things. It makes a huge difference and I would be so appreciative. 
If you have guest suggestions or any other feedback, drop us a line at podcast at whowhatwhere.com or you can find us on social at whowhatwhere. See you next Wednesday on Who What Where with Hillary Kerr. This episode of Who What Where with Hillary Kerr was produced by me and Olivia Capaletti. Digital audio editing is by Treehouse Recording, and our music is by Jonathan Leahy.